I did something super drastic. I had to strip down my online personality completely to help me to self-market. Every single day when I wake up and create, regardless of who it is who engages my work, wherever they are, I want for my name to be the first name that they think of when they're like African design or culturally inclined design. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Webflow. I'm your host, Jack, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Fungi Dorbe. Fungi comes from a science background with a Bachelor of Science in Human Anatomy and Physiology and Biochemistry. She then started becoming interested in design after seeing a Photoshop tutorial and then went down the rabbit hole to learn different softwares and grow as a designer and then a webflower. She found her brand voice and design style when she tied in her background from Harare in Zimbabwe. Her work is heavily influenced by African culture. Patterns, historic writings, graphic symbols and colour all come into her work. And actually, she's recently become a brand design instructor for Flux Academy, so you may have seen her there too. Go check out her beautiful website after this episode. The failures we talk about today are her first ever Webflow dev site, having proper internal systems and getting a steady flow of work. So embrace and learn from failure in episode 47 of Webflow with Fungi. Fungi, welcome to Webflow. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome to have you too. And it's really interesting to have international guests from all around the world. I'm really interested in your design style because I think one thing that Webflowers, when they're starting out, they struggle to actually know what their visual voice is, as it were. And you seem to have a very clear idea of that from the get-go, which I think is fascinating. So can you tell me a little bit about how your backgrounds influence your design style and why you think it's important to express that? So I guess I'll start off by saying that I haven't always known what my style was going to be. It was very experimental in the formative years of learning design. So I kind of did everything. And a lot of what I did was influenced by what I saw on social media, especially on Instagram. So trying to either sort of copy other designer styles, not copy in the worst sense of the word, but just trying to get a handle of how I can express my work in different ways. And I found that as I was doing this, it was okay for the time, but I just didn't feel as connected to the work. And it felt quite unfamiliar to me and quite foreign as well. So I sort of started digging a little bit deeper and doing some personal reflection and that sort of thing and just trying to figure out exactly how I wanted to represent my work and more so how I would want for the world to also engage with my work. So that's how I sort of started shifting from a more generic style to something that was very specific to my surroundings, to my culture, to my heritage, to things that I'm exposed to, and to things that other people who look like me are also exposed to. And it was really scary initially because I was like, whoa, I'm not entirely sure how the internet is going to receive this. And given that, especially at that time when it came to like the brand design space, there weren't really a lot of expressions that were 
like the way that I design now. I'm happy that there are more that are coming out, which is really inspiring and encouraging. So I sort of just went for it. I worked on something that was a personal passion project that was based on a coffee packaging design that really highlights the beauty of some of the African regions that grow coffee. And I put it on LinkedIn. I was like, well, I have no idea what's going to happen with this, but it's out there in the world. Let's see what happens. So I'm really grateful because that was the moment that really solidified everything for me. I did not expect the reaction that I got to the work, but it was overwhelmingly positive and everyone was like super excited. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's something here for sure. So I guess going into it and over the years, it's something that I really just worked on and like really refined. And it was much easier now like switching to Webflow because I knew that I wanted to sort of carry that extension into the web design space as well. So as much as there are more culturally inclined expressions coming from me and brand design, I wanted to switch that over and be like, Webflow is a really cool platform. You know, no code is the future right now. Everyone's on it, but can we get like something a little bit more different? Can I build like different kinds of websites and that sort of thing? So that's how I was thinking about it, just to sort of extend my range, but within the same style that I've worked on for years now. Wow, what a beautiful answer. So essentially, you wanted to kind of have more representation through your design work and obviously that's been so influenced by your culture and this coffee packaging i think it's really interesting because a lot of brands will kind of have like a pastiche version of some kind of cultural reference where it's like oh this is from italy so we'll just i don't know have like (laughs) like the colors or something but they're not really they don't truly understand the cultural identity of that place whereas you Mm -hmm. obviously know the regions where this coffee comes from and I've listened to other interviews where you will go to museums and talk to basket weavers who have been doing this for 40 years for example and you are trying to very actively engage with where you are and bring that into your design which I think such a fascinating way of making sure that there is true representation, not just a version of it. Do you agree with that? Yes, I agree with that completely. Because the thing also when it comes to culturally inclined work is that you don't want to misinterpret anything and you don't want to misconstrue anything. So in my context, as much as I'm African, I am Zimbabwean. So that means that a lot of what happens in other African countries is something that I may not be familiar with even though we do share common threads when it comes to some of the practices that we have. So if I need to dig a little bit deeper to ensure that I have the right facts, then I'm definitely going to do that. I'm going to see who I can have a chat with online. The beauty of the internet is that it connects us all. So I can quickly up on my Instagram and I'm like, oh, there's a designer from Senegal and I'm working on this. Could you verify this word for me? Is this, some, is this a cultural practice that you're familiar with? you know, things like that, just to make sure that I do get to tell the story, but I tell the story in the right way. So it definitely goes like layers deep just to ensure that we get like the right information. And then I convey the information and or translate the information in my style so that it's become something that is still quite fresh, still quite modern, but has a lot of like significance behind it. It seems that you've got a very scientific approach to design most designers i've talked to 
simply just do not go into the depths to find the the origin of of where this has actually come from before maybe using it in a design or or you know talking to people that are involved with that cultural cultural practice so do you think your background in science has actually made you quite a different designer and, and web flower like you're approaching things in a very scientific manner would you would you agree with that i i would like to think so i feel like there's definitely a lot that i draw from my academic background but yes i do find that i tend to gravitate towards digging a little bit deeper more naturally because of that so i guess because everything was super like research based and you had to go through tons and tons of papers and that sort of thing. So even when it comes to my day-to-day work and even when I do like client commissions and everything like that, if I need to pull out a paper, I'll read it. I'll read through like 20 pages of stuff or like 40 pages of like three different research papers just to make sure that I get something. And also, I think given the fact that when it comes to culturally inclined like inspiration and again as we've been talking about like finding the right information like you're definitely going to have to go to greater heights or adopt like more unconventional methods to make sure that you get the right information so if anything my research my design process is like 90 80 90 percent research and then like you get the odds 10 or 20 executing everything my scientific background helps me to dig deep and question things and be like, okay, so if I put this here and this here, I'm supposed to get this result, but if that's not working, then what do I need to fix? Like, do I need to bring in something else? Do I need to take something out? So I really dissect everything and piece things together to make sure that I get the best outcome. And how does this kind of meticulous approach to design and and then I guess development, how does that link with clients? Because I think sometimes there's a little bit of a tension between client needs just being like, listen, we've got a deadline, we're super busy, we just need you to make something, here's the information, and they might not necessarily understand the depth to your process to actually get the results that you do get sometimes. Talk to Mm -hmm. me a little bit about how this fits with the client process. Yeah, so this is a super valid question because I think that initially I sort of was that kind of designer where I'm like, whatever comes my way and whatever it is that they want, like we're just going to work through it and get it done. And I think that we all go through that as designers at some point because especially when you're starting out or if you're independent, you have to make sure that you have a bit of a cushion, right? So the work may not necessarily be work that moves you or inspires you and may actually like be very difficult to get through it but you know that you're getting paid for it so if anything eight years later in design and like maybe two and a half years in workflow I am grateful because I have the privilege of choice where it comes to a stage where when clients do approach me they approach me specifically because of my process and my style so when it then comes to how we work together, there's a mutual understanding that, you know, this is something that's going to be very intentional. We're really going to work through this and we're going to ensure that we get this kind of result. And it comes from this kind of process. Given that someone doesn't necessarily agree with me or, you know, they may have like, you know, like strict deadlines or something like that, then only now am I in a position to 
maybe sort of assess the situation and be like, okay, I understand where you're coming from and you need to get this done, but I may not be the right designer for initially that would not have been the conversation that we'll be having up okay okay what do you need mister okay so you want it tomorrow no problem i am not gonna sleep i'm gonna get it done i'll get it to you tomorrow <laughs> but i guess that's what comes with, with growth and really taking your time out to make sure that you build something that's sustainable and you work with the kind of people that you want to work with i love the transparency in that answer so what you're saying is that at the start, you're not too sure what your creative voice is. You're maybe trying to even just work out what your processes are, the type of people that you're working with, you know, whether you enjoy working with this type of project, this type of project, whatever, but you're taking on a lot of different projects and you're kind of at the behest of the client to a certain extent. You're kind of like, okay, will you, you want this landing page designed by next week? Okay, I'm not going to be able to do the kind of processes that that you seem to really enjoy doing the kind of maybe slower but more intentional design work to understand the background and and talk to people and and really go in depth but now you've got a little bit of leverage in the design space and people are like coming to you specifically for that type of work and that's the type of work you enjoy now when clients come to you and say we need a landing page designed and built by next week you're like hey appreciate that's where you're coming from but i'm not the best person for the job let me direct you to someone else is that is that the type of conversation that you're now having exactly 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 because i mean you know what the thing is i feel like especially when it comes to like branding or like web work it's it's an investment on the client's part they're paying a lot of money for that kind of service so I would be doing myself a disservice and I'll be putting my reputation on the line as well if I just take it because, hey, it's a good it's a good amount of money that they're going to pay me knowing fully well that I'm not the right person for it. So whenever I have discovery calls with my clients, I'm very transparent with them. I listen to what the objectives are and what the needs are. And I'll sort of, you know, like ask them leading questions so that I can also really understand how best I can help them. So if I sort of unpack what they're trying to do and in the process I discover that I'm not the right creative for them, I'll let them know. I'm like, listen, this is your money. You want to make sure that it goes to the best person. So based off of what you're saying, these are my core specializations and what I can offer you. When it comes to other things, I will not be able to do this. So at least you're in an informed position and you can make a better decision as to how to invest your money. So those are definitely conversations that we're having. Is your design any good? Is that the right color? Is that copy any good for conversions? If only there was a tool to help you answer these questions. One tool. Built to test Webflow sites for all. Enter OptiBase, the A-B testing tool for Webflowers. Test anything you can think of. Colors, layouts, buttons, layouts buttons no credit card needed sign up today by clicking the link in the show notes out now for web flowers everywhere back to the episode
I absolutely love that answer. Not everyone is in a position to do that. It's worth pointing out that, you know, you need to have enough client work coming in in order to do that. Yeah. Like, and that kind of inbound lead pipeline takes a little little bit of time to, to develop. But I've said to people, I'm not the best person for this job. And the people, like clients or potential clients are like, oh my God, thank you for saying that. Like, it's actually really nice for someone to say, look, I'm not right for you. I'm not going to take your money. I I am going to find you someone who will be best to help you, who I trust. And when you do that to someone, it feels like you're guiding the client or the potential client, sorry, feels like they're being guided. And that has a boomerang effect down the line. Like they're going to come to you and say, hey, we now know that you are the best person for this job and we want to hire you because we trust you when there was no money at stake you know, like now we know that you're not just in it for money and, and you are actually the best person for the job because you've specifically said, this is what I'm good at. I'm not sure if that has happened to you, but I think there's a real trust element that comes from when you, when you say that. Yeah, no, I agree with you like 150% because I've had clients who have come back to me and said those kinds of things to be like, oh no, you know, we're very sure of what it is that you do and how you do it. So yeah, like, let's work together. So, yeah, it definitely has a ripple effect down the line. And I think just leading with integrity goes a long way because then, you know, you build a credible and, like, reputable brand and people want to work with you because they know that they're going to get full transparency out of it. Yeah, your reputation precedes you. People want to work with who they like, know, and trust. That's not me. That's yes, exactly. Marty Neumar, I think I heard that quote from, and it's a beautiful quote. It's really important that, to remember this is a relationship business and and being likable by, you know, getting trust from people is a big part of this. So kudos to you for for doing that and saying, look, I know my process. I know how I can help you best. And it doesn't seem like we're aligned at the moment. You need something out the door quickly. That is your top priority. That is not where I'm going to be providing you the best value. So I recommend you going with someone else. I think that's such a great skill set to to recognize in yourself. And something that I want to ask you as well is a lot of different people that use Webflow are obviously based all around the world. People are trying to get clients from everywhere. And it seems like your approach would only mean that clients would be interested like locally to you because you're focusing on like super local to your heritage design voice etc but i overheard you and say actually it's the opposite because i've focused in really tightly on having you know a brand voice that represents african culture people all all around are like hey, now I know the designer for the project that I'm trying to work on because I want an expert who can, you know, guide me through that design process and give me that design style. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and maybe how that's affected you as a as a designer that's getting clients? So I think initially, like when I was coming up with my personal strategy, this is something that I was thinking about to say, do I want to spread my work across different kinds of cultures and disciplines or do I want to really zero in on something 
I chose what others may consider to be the less traveled path, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, you know what? I want to ensure that at least like I feel fully represented in what I'm doing and anyone who sort of engages with my work, regardless of where they come from, can really, really see that it comes from this really special place in my heart. So it really does limit my options, so I'm not going to lie about that, because I'm sure that there are other generalists who get a ton more work than I do. But I'm perfectly happy with that because I know that when I do get the work that I get, it's the work that resonates with me. But what I'm actually realizing is that choosing to really follow my path was something that has done so much good for me. There is still a wider African diaspora market who is still trying to express the ideas and get their products out there. There are also still organizations and that are working on the continent who also require for a certain amount of work to be done. Uh, they are existing designers or creatives or type foundries that are also creating content that is more inclusive because that's also something that I'm grateful is happening now. So as much as people may consider the Western market, they'll also see how that also looks for the African market and that sort of thing. So it all sort of comes together where there isn't like just one kind of client that I'm working with, but there are several different kinds of clients who are still creating inclusive content, who are still wanting to market to the wider African diaspora market, who are still working here within Sub-Saharan Africa and trying to make a change and that sort of thing. So there's a whole bunch of things that are happening on the continent itself and outside but for the continent and outside for the continent you know so it's 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 a whole bunch of things that are happening in this kind of space i don't know i think i i feel like it's a good time to be where i'm at right now and the one thing that i really wanted to make sure of i told myself when i still tell myself that every single day when i wake up and create regardless of who it is who engages my work wherever they are i want for my name to be the first name that they think of when they're like African design or culturally inclined design or who can I go to for this kind of brand design or this kind of web flow work I want for my name to be the first name that people think of damn I feel like we've just had a TED talk right there <laughs> I mean that was I, I'm inspired I, th- I, I think if you have a clear objective as to you know how people the kind of things that you want associated with your name then you're far more likely to achieve that and i think you're well on the way if i may say that because you have a very clear idea of who you are and who you want to be and that is reflected in everything that i've seen online from you thank you one thing i would say though is that before we talk too much about the future. I want to reflect back on your failures that have helped carve out this path for you. We need to talk about these. So tell me about failure number one, your first Webflow dev project being your portfolio site. Tell me about that. Hey guys, just jumping in here to say that Flowfest has been launched. The website 
is now live. So go to flowfest.co.uk to get yourself a ticket for the 11th of July. The 11th of July. So I have nothing to do with organizing this one, by the way, but this is Isabel Edwards, Ash, various other amazing humans that are involved. It's going to be a great meetup. Like Isabel is just awesome at organizing stuff and she always throws herself into stuff 110%. So well worth going. She promises loads of nice things, three no-code talks, food, drinks, outdoor games, live music. I mean, this thing is taking meetups to another level. I mean, combining a festival and a conference is a mad idea, but it's going to be sick and I'm so pumped. So anyway, get yourself to Manchester if you're a UK-based webflower for the 11th of July. It's going to be it's going to be mad. If it's anything like the website, which is sick by the way, it's going to be like the best event of the year. So Yes, get yourself to Flowfest uh, website, copper ticket, see you on the 11th of July. Back to the episode. Uh, okay, so what's actually interesting about this entire Webflow journey is that I think that I should have started it probably like nine months prior to when I actually decided to start it. So without going into too much detail, I did have an opportunity where I could have learned Webflow and I couldn't take it up because there were so many things that were happening in my personal life at the time so I just wasn't in the right headspace and then fast forward to nine months later I was like wait actually I keep seeing more and more people talking about Webflow like on Twitter and like what's happening with this and I just really wanted to get down to the bottom of it so I was thinking to myself, and it was, you know, one of those like late night conversations when you're just sitting and lying in bed, actually. And I was like, wait, but I have no web design experience. I mean, do I need to learn Figma? Do I need to design things there? And then like move them over to Webflow. I was just having so many internal conversations. So I was like, all you know is like brand and illustrator from you. So how are you going to tackle this? But I just went to bed and I woke up with such a strong determination in my heart where I was like, you know what, let's turn this into an experiment. And I guess this is also the science part of me that was kicking in to be like, let's see what happens. Right? So if I take time out to actually learn this thing and I use myself as the guinea pig to see how it goes, maybe it could be the thing that really propels me to work on other people's websites. So... I started the journey and my goodness, I have never been so lost and so confused in my life. I was like, what is going on here? And then I need to put what? I need to get a section and like put a div block and then like put something inside there. Like I need to put a container within a container to contain things. It was a lot. <laughs> so that's when I was like, you know, what? I think that I need to approach this a little bit more in a structured way. So I was learning through like Webflow University and then I started also pulling some resources from YouTube, just tutorials on how to get certain interactions working. But whilst also researching, because I'll research interactions on other people's sites or like in the Webflow community and that sort of thing to be like, okay, I think that this could work for what I'm trying to do and that sort of thing. It was like three months from learning to actually sort of launching my website. I barely slept. Because I was in and out. Like, people were like, hey, like, do you want to hang out? Do you want to do this? I was like, 
guys, I'm on a mission. <laughs> like, I need to learn how to do this thing and I've got to get it right. And even within that, I ended up having to strip down like certain pages of my website and rebuild them a few times around because I was like, oh, this is so cool and this is such like a really cool layout. And I was like, wait, this is not going to be responsive like at all. <laughs> so it may look great now, but it's not going to look great on other breakpoints. So that was humbling to say the least. But when it did come to the time, like when I felt like I was ready to launch, I was shaking. I was nervous. I was like, oh, I don't have as much experience as everyone like who's like currently doing Webflow and that sort of thing. And, you know, everything just looks like really amazing and like well put together. And this is me just coming out with my own expression and I hope that it works. So I just kind of put it out there on the internet. I was like, okay, I I can't believe that this is actually happening, but here's my website. And along the way, like I would update like my Twitter and be like, I figured out what my hero section is going to look like today. It took me like X amount of time, but I think it looks pretty cool. And, you know, you get like so much support from like the online community being like, oh, this is so cool. Like you're learning in public and like we keep seeing like your mistakes and how you're fixing things and how you're figuring out things, especially given the fact that you're coming from a non-web design background. So that again was like another pivotal moment, I guess, in my design career where I was not expecting the reaction that I got because I felt very proud of the body of work that I had put out, but I didn't realize that everyone else was going to be excited about it. So just sort of seeing like the number of people who are on my DM on Twitter and Instagram and people who commented under my website and people who still message me to this day and still talk about how they feel inspired when they go through my website and how I built it. It it keeps me going. It keeps me going. So I get more and more and more excited to keep learning, to keep getting better at it and to see what more I can do with it. But really, I'm glad that the experiment paid off, but it was very chaotic just trying to get through everything for sure. So you, I mean, from a failure perspective, I guess you felt like you were just diving in head first tumbling down a chasm of containers and sections and divs and interactions and just being like what the hell am I doing but then it all came good after three months of just on being on a mission yeah saying look I can't chat right now I'm gonna gonna do this thing and then it and then it came good it's interesting that you basically shared as you were going through the process very publicly saying like I don't I'm trying to build my portfolio I'm struggling here it sounds like the building the portfolio in public really gave you momentum when you actually launched the website for for the support that you got I mean I'm on Twitter right now your website I have never seen someone launch a portfolio with so much success online it is insane it's 1871 likes 647 retweets 229 comments and that's just on twitter i mean imagine on linkedin and stuff it you know you probably got similar feedback so that's such an interesting way to launch in my opinion you know you're sharing what you're doing as you're going you're building in public and then the public affection that you got is just insane yeah i agree it was a little bit crazy (laughs) i couldn't believe it you must have woken up and been like what the hell has happened like that is 
No, it was so bizarre. And especially like for a platform like Twitter, like when it comes to like general acknowledgement and engagement, I do like speak with designers from, you know, different parts of the world and that sort of thing. And we exchange content and ideas, but nothing of this sort had ever happened to any of the posts that I had put up. So it was designers from everywhere. And I had designers from everywhere in my DM. And I even got like a few job offers through that as well. And I was like, this is bizarre. <laughs> like, it's absolutely bizarre. But I, I do think that building in public definitely helped me for sure to feel more confident in getting it wrong in the sense that I would have an idea, I would put it forward, and then you know how it is like with creative work. You you speak, you wake up, you're like, wait a minute, that's really not going to work. Uh, but then you would also probably have someone who would be like, what if like you sort of do this and do that to make sure that this technically is better and that sort of thing. So it really, 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 I guess, would say helped me to gain confidence in not having it be perfect as I was going along. But obviously when it came to launching, I was like, no, this has to be like the best thing that I've done. And I'm glad that it turned out that way. Yeah, definitely. And I think if there was any advice that you would have given to yourself, you know, when you were starting out with Webflow or anyone that's maybe thinking about launching a portfolio, but it's like, I don't know how to do it. I'm procrastinating. I don't really know what to do. What advice would you would you give them? So I think I would say like to have a structured plan because when I was sort of going through it, I was like, oh man, like, I can figure it out. Like, I'm a designer. Like, I know the fundamentals of design. Like, let's just get into it. And, like, I can figure it out as I go. So, surely if I play something here and do that, like, then it's going to work the way that it's supposed to. But that is definitely not how it is because it is a steeper learning curve, I would say. So, structure your learning in a way that allows for you to get, like, maximum benefit out of it. So really do go through the tutorials, make sure you understand the fundamentals of what it takes to design a no code, like understand CMS, understand CSS, you know, things like that. Not to like a deeper, deeper level, but just so that you know exactly how to contain things and how to structure things so that you have something that's quite beautiful at the end of it. So don't rush the process, like make sure that you really structure your learning and just yeah, stay at it, is what I would say. It'll get a little bit confusing and a little bit frustrating down the line, but the results are always worth it, for sure. Okay, great. So a few nuggets there. You can't just jump into Webflow and just freestyle your portfolio, guys. Breakpoints and all of that stuff is, is going to be very, very hard to, to just jump straight into Webflow if you haven't had any experience with Webflow previously. Or with web design in general. So not just Webflow, but like just web design in general. Because I'm I was coming purely from a brand design background. Yeah. I think the type of approach that you might come up with a brand identity where it's like, okay, let's do some research. Let's let's have a play kind of, you know, in Illustrator, you might be just kind of exploring shapes and stuff. I think if you apply that same mentality to Webflow, it's very quickly going to get messy. So the type of mindset that I think you need as a designer and a developer is very different, I've found. I'm not a developer. I'm 
very not a developer and the type of mindset that you need for complicated projects you need a very different type of mind i found or a very different type of approach so be warned but also if you stick at it just like fungi did and put your head down then amazing things can happen just like the reception you've received on twitter and linkedin the other important highlight from that as well is that share your work if people can see that you're trying to push a car along a road they're far more likely to help but if they don't know you're trying to push a car along the road then they won't help you they won't know that help is needed if you're struggling to do stuff tell people about it you know maybe screenshot the problem that you're having and ask the twitter community or you know message a designer that you know might be able to help and just say hey you know i saw that you've done this on another website can i just ask you how you approach this problem because people in the webflow community are very friendly i found and are well up for supporting fungi tell me about failure number two not having proper internal systems maybe this is very interlinked with the first point so i guess now also being full-time independent brand and webflow girly i i call myself there was a point where i lost clients that i shouldn't have lost because i just didn't have proper systems in place and what i mean by that is that you sort of kind of post through things like you don't have like proper contractual agreements you have for a judge of character you know things like that and things just end up going sideways and these experiences cost you money too right i've had instances where i've ended up having to send back deposits for projects because we're just butting heads and things are not working and it's just not an ideal setup so with time, that teaches you that even as you are taking on these clients and these projects, you need to ensure that you have proper documentation in place. Like, what are your working terms? Like, are those being observed? Are you protecting your interests as a designer and your client's interests as well? How are you onboarding them? How are you communicating with them? How are you delivering, like, key milestones and everything like that? So... I had to learn this on the go and you learn it as after you've taken the hit like or several hits where you're like oh you know what I need to get my act together because this is just not working out the way that it's supposed to work and it also is kind of scary because you're like if this is the experience that I have given this client what are they going to say to the next person and how is that going to affects like the next couple of people who are going to work with me based off of what they would have heard or you know what the the chitter chatter is in the streets or whatever the case may be so really had to tighten up ship and be like a reformation that needs to happen some form of reinvention some form of resurrection of sorts I guess you can even call it that just to ensure that like my name is not tainted, my brand is not tainted, and I really am working towards getting better and making sure that the experience that one person has is the same experience that the next 20 people are going to have. So yeah, that was a lot of trial and error, a lot of disappointment, a lot of loss, but I'm grateful that I'm here now. You could say maybe I wouldn't be here without it, but I think there are some things that can definitely be avoided if we just do things right from the start. So, yeah.
Hey guys, just jumping in here to say that the web flavor of the week is Zeke. That was the best web flavor of the week little intro I've done. He says, hey Jack and Jess, this podcast is so vulnerable and honest. Couldn't come at a better time as I'm about to start a new role next month. As designers who are listening, we feel less alone. A thousand thank yous. Fan from Singapore. Zeke, that is one of the most lovely messages I've seen on Twitter. Because I think this whole idea of freelancing and freedom and, you know, being able to do what you love and stuff and and be creative and move shapes and stuff and design and develop is really exciting. But it, it can feel quite lonely. So it's really, really nice to hear that you feel more connected and that you're less alone because, you know, other people are going through the same problems you are. So awesome, awesome to hear. If you haven't listened to Jess's episode, she drops some really, really valuable advice all about leadership but also setting boundaries and I guess just becoming a better designer and developer like you know how do you take feedback how are you an empathetic human that can give and take advice so anyway give that one a listen if you haven't already Zeke thanks so much for writing that comment as always feel free to write nice things and make us feel good about this whole web flail project thanks so much Back to the episode. I mean, I'd definitely say your clients now are probably far better off for the experiences that you had when you didn't have systems and processes. Can now, I bet it's it's a smooth service. So, so it's great that you that you learn what you did learn. But I think a lot of the stuff you said there, I mean, as much as it's about systems and processes, it's also just working out where your boundaries lie, right? Sometimes, yes, there's just basic things that you need to do. Don't go quiet on your client. Keep updating them so that they feel like you are moving the project along and that they feel secure. That's a very basic thing to do. But then some things aren't as obvious as that. Like, uh, you know, where do your boundaries lie? If the client has already done multiple scope provisions at what point do you say enough is enough like i'm not gonna do that for you write down your process and and there's and there's basic things that that you can do but there's also things that you need to work out by trial and error and it's actually it's not like there's a hard and fast rule necessarily on something so i I, yeah i'd push back on on you saying I could have avoided that. There's some things that I, I honestly think it's it's about you working out who you are and where your boundaries lie so that you can actually guide your clients properly, I would I would say. And I think that's actually like a really sound like point to make because we tend to overstretch ourselves way past the value of the project and you find yourself in this space where it's just <laughs> it's not ideal. And you're like, wait, I'm working for minus Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, I've been there. You're like, I might as well go and just work in a cafe because at least I know I'm going to get £7.50 an hour, you know? Yeah. And you're like, I, the client's always right and you've got this strange mentality where it's like, I'm going to bend over backwards for them. But then they start treading all over you and it's like, can you add this? Can you add this? And you're like, wait, I probably should have set my boundaries way earlier, but it's too late now. Hey, sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but this is, you know, problems that I've faced and it's been a bit strange because you're like, wait, I want to keep this client because they said they pay me on retainer, but this is like out of scope now. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, don't even apologize because I feel like your rant is very valid. And trying to take back control of a project like that is also something that is just so difficult to do. It's very difficult to do. And you can't like ask for more money because you've worked way over the scope and you just have to finish it. But you're also not in control of anything. So you're just like, you know what, let me complete this with grace and hopefully this will not happen the next time. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. And use it as the most expensive lesson you've ever had, maybe. But I would say one way that I think isn't actually talked about enough in the Webflow space is going to work for an agency, a successful agency. Because a successful agency that's been around for a little while has their systems and processes down, right? They've taken the hits that you as a freelancer may well start to take. And if you go and work for an agency who have their systems and processes down, not only can you work with people that are better than you and just learn from them, but also see how they, how, what systems they, are they using ClickUp? Are they using Trello? You know, how do they communicate with the client? What does a project manager do in the agency that maybe you can learn from because as a freelancer you're you know you're like an octopus you know you've got to <laughs> yeah. work out accountancy project management you're actually the designer and developer you you know and then there's the handoff process so you're trying to make tutorial videos and what you know like there's just there's a lot and when you're starting out i think it is quite healthy to go and work for an agency and I don't think that's the coolest thing to say because a lot of people get into Webflow because they want to be digital nomads and go work <laughs> for the beach and stuff. But in reality, it's an underrated fast track ticket to doing that to go and work for an agency that is successful. And the reason why I use the word successful is because there are a lot of Webflow agencies that are very young, very new, and don't necessarily have the best systems and processes down. And what you might do is you might go and work for people that maybe don't actually have these things together and you're not necessarily learning as much as you could if you went to a more established agency. I agree with you. I feel like if people do have the access to work in an agency that's reputable and has their systems in place, then definitely go for that. I guess for some of us who are independent from the start and just sort of getting into it, I would definitely encourage for you to invest time in researching what others are doing, how others go about their process, what industry standards are. And like you rightfully mentioned, like the nice thing about it is that all of these like platforms are all online and all on the internet. So if it's, you know, using Notion for your project management, if it's, looking into other resources that allow for you to have a faster build where you can get icons, things like that, whatever the case is, right? And again, I know that I'm going more into sort of like the design dev side, but just sort of check out and see what's what's happening and see how you can adopt, sorry, adopt that for your own model, however that looks, and just go with it and make sure that you put your best foot forward. Tell me about failure number three, your personal strategy to get a steady flow of work. Okay, so I don't know if this conversation has had enough. Actually, let me start off by saying that. 
say that there's a lot of anxiety that comes with being an independent designer because you may not necessarily be sure when your next paycheck is going to come. And more so when you're starting out because you have to like build a brand and there are all these strategies. You need to make sure that you do this. You need to post five times to Instagram and, you know, create four carousels and 25 Instagram reels and all sorts of things. And it's completely overwhelming because on top of, you know, like the internet dictating that you have to do the things in order for people to see your work, you're also trying to fight your own battles. Like where you're like, what am I going to do? What's going to happen with this? I need to make sure that I can afford this. I need to make sure that I can take care of myself. I need to make sure that my design revenue is enough for me to actually live life, you know, and live it to the fullest. So I think when it came to that, and you'll find that throughout my design career, I haven't switched personas, I would say, but I guess I could say that. But the way that I maybe presented my work initially in the beginning is very different to how I did it in the middle and it's very different to how we do it now. And that again was through trial and error to see what sticks, what doesn't. So it came from a place where it was very chaotic, very experimental. Anyone could just see it and be like, oh, maybe we're not really sure what she does, but I think she does a little bit of everything. So maybe I could just ask her to do this. But I wouldn't get a lot of people come to me and ask me for that because it would be like the smaller odd things, right? So it could have been like a random flyer for your pug who is so cute and is turning like five years old and I'll do it. But it's not really something that's going to pay you money that's going to sustain your life, if that makes sense. So I had to ensure that I really took time out to invest in reading material that would help me to self-market and self-promote my work without also being super invasive and, you know, in people's faces because no one likes being sold to. Also ensuring that, you know, the places that I showed up online and how I showed up, how I spoke about my work and that sort of thing would be something that would appeal to a certain audience that I was trying to draw in. So I did something super drastic where I had to strip down my online personality completely, especially given the fact that I would tweet about very random things that were okay things to tweet about. Like we can talk about football, we can talk about, I don't know, food or fashion or whatever, just general life things. But there's absolutely no way that would have appealed to my target audience because they don't see me talking enough about my design work and why it's important to me and how I go about it. And also, I have no base at all because I'm coming from like the science background. I was working a non-design related job. And if I just sort of started talking about design from nowhere, people are going to be like, why do we need to listen to you? Who are you? What credentials do you have? Right. So it took a lot of, like I'm saying, of stripping down, of really like getting to the bare, bare ground and then building up from there and experimenting to see what kind of content would hit more? What would not hit more? Where do I find my target audience? How do I appeal to the emotions and to their pockets? Because that's essential. And, you know, and that sort of thing. So I would like to say that process probably took me about a year and a half of just trying to figure things out. And once I got the right formula, then I just kind of ran with it. I don't think that there's one thing that works for all of us. So I think just once you know really who your people are, then you've got to figure out how to get them in your corner.
So I find that there's a lot of value in community. I find that there's a lot of value in exchange of ideas. I also find that there's a lot of value in also sharing authentic experiences when it comes to the journey and how to go about things. So even podcasts like this and what you're doing is incredible because having people talk about things that they've done, things where they failed, you know, things where they could have been better and that sort of thing also helps because it feels more human, right? It's not robotic or AI because that's the wave now, but it's it's genuine experiences that I believe that someone who's in year one of design would be like, oh gosh, that's happening to me right now. And that sort of thing. So you relate on that level as well. It also has a lot to do, obviously, with the quality of work that you're going to put out and that sort of thing, because that's also a big factor to say, if someone sees my work, are they going to immediately think that, oh, okay, when I see Jack's work or when I see Fungi's work, I'm likely to pay X amount of money just based off of how it looks. And I think that's important too. But I mean, that comes with years of practicing and making sure that your technical abilities like get to that level and you keep learning because we never stop with students of life when it comes to design, students for life. But yeah, that I'm, I'm not sure if that really answers the question. It still feels a little bit vague when I put it across. But <laughs> It does. It completely answers the question because there is no secret formula. Everyone's trying to sell a course on the silver bullet to getting up. 5k regular months and whatever else and i think that the truth is that you need to work out what your formula is i interviewed this woman called jamie dowis and she never posts on twitter she's not active on social media she actually gets her clients from fiverr because that's how she started she's built a reputation there and you know her agency is not what you will have heard of but her agency is doing very well on the other hand, there are people that are having a big kind of public profile, like like Brett from Design Joy. I think he's a really interesting example of someone that is very active on social media, talking very candidly about money and, you know, the client work that he's doing. And, uh, you know, he, he's got an audience there and now he's he's doing his course and that's a whole separate thing. But I just think it's important to say that this whole secret formula of, you know, how to get clients and how to market yourself is very subjective to the type of personality you have, where you even enjoy hanging out. Like if you enjoy hanging out on Twitter, then likely it is your people are on Twitter, like the people that you like to work with, like to talk to. And I think that maybe is quite a good indicator. But yeah, meeting the type of clients that you want, where they are, I think is, is kind of the, the crux of what you're saying. And that takes time to work out in itself, you know? So, so that's why you talked about, you know, making cards for someone who's got a new dog, like a, a pug and stuff. Like you're doing all sorts of different projects to work out well, what are the types of clients and projects that you even enjoy working on. And from there, you can then work out where your audience is and then how to talk to them. I think you summarize that pretty well. That's exactly what it is. That's a relief. But yeah, it, it is it is a hot topic. You know, how do I get clients? How do I get clients? Keep working on improving your skill set. Share what you do publicly wherever you feel like you want to be and wherever you're, wherever, whoever you think your clients are might be hanging out and, and enjoy the process. I think that's another thing that we haven't really talked about, but I think, you know, you clearly love doing the work you do and you love 
educating people about the work that you do. And as a result, I, I mean, no doubt that you're insanely busy because it's quite infectious. And I'm sure people find you very naturally because, you know, you're, you're talking about something that is very personal to you and that other people really resonate with as a result. Fungi, are you ready for your final question? Yes, I am. What is your next failure going to be? Oh, <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Hmm. I'm hoping that I don't fail. Was that too ambitious? <laughs> I am going to be highly ambitious and say that I hope that I do not fail. I, I hold myself to a very high standard, so I want to make sure that whatever it is that I do, it may not be something that is a massive hit with everyone else, but for as long as it's a massive hit with me, then I know that I haven't failed at it. Thanks so much to Fungi for coming on the podcast, and thanks so much to you guys for listening. We talked about all sorts of different important bits and bobs here, how not to build your portfolio have a system, have a process, how to infuse your Webflow work with your own personality by going deep into research and understanding the core influence of the design that you're using and why focusing on your true passion will lead to work that supports your freelance practice. But what I want to focus on for this outro and the one big takeaway that I think you should have for this episode is that the secret formula to marketing yourself and getting a steady flow of work as a freelancer is... There isn't one formula. That's the secret. There isn't one formula. You need to work out what your formula is. Fungi talks about this really eloquently, but essentially, step one is trying to work out what projects you even want to work on. And then, sharing your work educating and answering the questions of those particular types of clients where those particular types of clients hang out online and in person and then as you work with more and more clients referrals will start coming but this takes time it's like trying to work out who you are and who you want to hang out with i mean these questions take time to to figure out it can't be forced right having said that you know this is fungi's experience of marketing and getting clients there are other people who maybe go to Fiverr or different platforms and build up reputation there. It's hard. It's hard. And anyone that's trying to sell you a course on a silver bullet to get a regular 20k a month or whatever, just be a little bit cautious out there, guys. Next episode, episode 48, we're approaching 50, will be with Alex and Ballerine from Tambien Studio, the power couple in the design space. I'm very excited to see them again after the Barcelona meetup and chat with them about their failures. But until then, have a great week, guys, and I'll see you next week. Bye.